love it. Kids sprinting to church. That's nothing better. Well, if you're just joining us, we are on the back half of the book of Acts. We covered the first 12 chapters uh, a while back in the spring. We took summer off, and so we're getting back into the book of Acts. And uh, we've kind of followed the, the idea of Paul's travels based off um, the theme is travels into the remote nations of the world in four parts. Uh, got that Gulliver went traveling across the world, talking about fictitious things, but we see Paul traveling throughout the world talking about things of God. And here, last week, we finished Paul's first missionary journey. Today, we begin uh, his second missionary journey. And I want to begin looking back just at one verse in chapter 15 and in verse 35. If you go there, uh, we'll be going through all of 16 today, but you see it says, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. Antioch is what's going to be home base for Paul and all his companions as they travel. And so it began, uh, if, we, if you can see up there, you don't have to turn there, but in 13.1, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, of which one was Saul. And so in, in chapter 1 and 1 through 6, you see God working in Jerusalem. And in 7 through 12, primarily Judea and Samaria. And here you see, mainly in Paul, going to the remotest parts of the earth. That's Acts 1.8, that we shall be his witnesses, beginning with the apostles then and the disciples then, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Somewhere in here, I don't know exactly, like this is very um, not empirical, but in this section, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but somewhere in here, eagle, right? right in, like maybe there. And, and then obviously gypsum here, but we're Eagle Bible Church, right? <laughs> 13, one, they were in Antioch. And then in 1822, this section will end if you were to go two chapters over into 1822. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. This is home base. And from there, we saw in 13 that he went on mission with God's message. And in 14, we saw the different facets of the gospel. And in 15 last week, we saw that there is a time and place to have a council and to come up with creeds. You'll see that again today. And in today's sermon, we're going to cover about uh, 41 verses. No, 46 verses. God's work through God's people for God's glory. God expands the mission. It will broaden. God guides the mission. Not only does he make it bigger, but he guides it as he sees fit. And God saves souls. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, I came here. I wanted something deep and rich. That's pretty obvious. But here's my question to you. How does God work through his people for his glory as they go on mission with the gospel? The answer might surprise you. Beginning in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. We call that follow-up. Paul and Barnabas didn't just plant seeds. They didn't just share the gospel, but Paul wanted to go back. And how are those churches doing? He had heard. He wrote letters to these churches. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Uh, this is the John. You don't have to turn there, but in 1313, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. 
and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. This is not John the Apostle, as Luke makes clear here in 37. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. That's a good thing. But Paul, 38, thought best not to take with them, and he described, Luke describes Mark here, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. John had left. We don't know why he left. He just left. But his leaving left an impression on Paul that when Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us, Paul said, no way. And look at verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement. They held two different opinions. They held two different strong opinions to the point, by definition, sharp disagreement of irritation. So, end of 39, such was the disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and with him sailed away to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. Probably had some more work to do there, and so they go. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he and Silas, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, it says Paul and Silas, but we will know later on in this section of Scripture that Luke was with them. This is often known as the we passages of Scripture. You will see that. And so we have a sharp disagreement to which Barnabas takes John and goes to Cyrus, Cyprus. And Paul takes Silas and some others with him, and he goes on. Now, before we see where he went on, I want to make a few points This takes place immediately following the council that we talked about last week where they came together and they decided what the message was and what they were going to hold to. They were all on the same page when it came to the message. But when it came to their methods, they disagreed. Not only did they just say, you know, I disagree. They sharply disagreed. Here's the point. And I don't think this is preached much in today's day and age. Great saints can disagree. And it's okay. Fair enough? Great saints. I know. Thank you for the obvious, Pastor Judd. Thank you. You're welcome. Great saints can disagree. Now, here's where we got to learn a little bit. Who was right? Was Barnabas right to take um, John Mark with him? Was Paul right? Some commentators say, because it says, having been commended by the brothers, they lean towards Paul. I don't know. I think Luke wisely does not include why they disagreed, but just that they disagreed. I think it was wise. I would think it was superintended by the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, if he would have said, this is why they disagreed, we, especially in America, would have come up with books on how you disagreed agreeably. <laughs> and so what, the other thing we learn from this is great saints can disagree, and judgment calls have to be made. Paul made a judgment call. Judgment calls have to be made. Paul said, I don't want to go with him. Barnabas said, but I I do want to go with him. It's interesting to me. This word, sharp disagreement, is only used one other time in Scripture, two times total. I have it up here for you. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up 
one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've all memorized that verse. We love that verse. We talk about let's stir each other up to love and good deeds. Some may even think that's like soup. No. Stir one another up is the exact same word used here in um, Acts chapter 15, where they had a sharp disagreement in verse 39. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say they're used the exact same because different contexts can help you understand nuances of a word, just like where Paul uses justification in his letters and James in his. It means the same thing, but different angles. Paul came at it from justified in God's eyes. James came at it before men. But it's interesting to me that it's the same word, let us stir up one another to love. And so whatever you think of that, God saw it in this grand scheme of things that this difference was going to expand the mission. Now let me say something to those of you who are like, well, I favor Barney. To you encouragers, I have a verse, 436 of Acts Thus Joseph, love that word, Joseph. The Emmers love that, Joseph, who was called the, by the apostles Barnabas, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. To you encouragers, encouragers are a gift of God for the body of Christ. And sometimes, if we're just going to go with context here, not giving any details, sometimes encouragers can minimize the truth of what may be going on in a situation for the sake of relationship. And all you prophets are out there like, yeah. Now let's look at another verse, 21:13. Prophets like Paul, when I say prophet, I'm talking about the prophetic gift of speaking boldly. When Paul says, and we'll see this in 21:13, I wonder how he said this. What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? That didn't seem very sensitive of Paul. What are you doing? Here they are weeping over him because they love him. And he's like, people, don't cry over me. If I'm ready, not only to be in prison, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. To those of you who are prophets out there, sometimes you, we, can minimize relationships for the sake of the truth. And so we need to all try to understand where people are coming from. Perhaps Barnabas didn't want John to be discouraged. Perhaps John really did uh, leave because it was getting tough and he said, you know what, I'm done. I don't know about this. And so Barnabas wants to come along like he did with Paul and and walk with him through this. Paul says, hey, we got a mission to do. We got to go. And I don't want to take a chance on him not being here. I've, I've seen it happen once before. And so we've got to understand that there are, sometimes it looks like this big difference. But God's at work the whole time. And here, here's the big thing. Often we don't get the whole picture. Praise the Lord, we get the whole picture in the Scripture. Because if you go to 2 Timothy 4, you see something. Do your best to come to me soon, Paul says to Timothy. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. There's Luke sticking with Paul. And look what he says here. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. 
I didn't do the math, so I don't know how long the years would have been in between there, but it's interesting to me at this point, Paul says, let's go back and comfort these churches. I've heard some things. They're fleshed out in Galatia, in the letter to the Galatians. And he says, hey, let's go. Barnabas says, that's awesome. Let's take John Mark. And he says, no. And so they, they go their separate ways. And then throughout however many years, here's Paul. Maybe he's heard of the good work or the maturity that happened to Mark. And he says, bring him with you, Timothy, for he's useful to me. Too many people, for whatever reason, label people and don't get the whole story, nor do they see after years people can change. And they don't understand the good that can come from conflict. So my encouragement is before we ever have to make a judgment decision, and we do, get the whole story, or at least get all the facts you can. And should you go your separate ways, pray for those people whom you think may need to mature, or pray for those who you think hold too hard to certain standards for people to become useful. And here's the key, because I think Paul shows it to us here, not only in Acts 15 and 2 Timothy 4, don't ever give up on people. Never. It may be years. Don't ever give up on people. I'm sure glad certain people didn't give up on me after the first couple of years here. Don't ever give up on people. I think that's what the Lord is showing us, not only in this text, but the whole of Scripture. And so Paul, 16.1, came also to Derby and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. It's interesting. Barnabas took Mark, and so Paul was less a companion, and here God provides another companion, a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So here's a guy who's got a great reputation. He comes from a mixed background, Jew and Greek. And so Paul, we're not given the details, meets this guy, thinks he's good for the work of the Lord and says, it says here in three, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He probably said, man, I want you to go with me. I hear nothing but good things and I've watched your life. We don't know the details of that. And so he took him, what? And he circumcised him. Hold on, Paul. <laughs> Last week, you made this big to-do about not circumcising. Well, he gives the reason because the Jews who were in those places, for all they knew that his father was a Greek, apparently because of his father being a Greek, they didn't consider him fully Jew. And so Paul said, for the sake of the mission, not for his salvation, but for the sake of the mission, we're going to become all things to all people. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. I think that's what you see going on in Acts 16. Let's not cause them any offense. Let's just, Timothy, if you want to do this mission work, we're going into a specialized area. Why don't you get circumcised? I didn't see Timothy raising his hand, at least in the scripture that I read, going, hey, Paul, you know, what about the counsel that we just did? Timothy, smart guy, just said, no problem. 
to those under the law became like those under the law, though myself not being under the law, that I might win those under the law. That's what you see going on here. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. You see that in Galatians uh, chapter 2, where Paul gets on to Peter and he opposes him to his face. More confrontation. It's all over the scripture, but rightly so. He opposes him to the face because outside the law, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when his Jewish buddies came, he's like, hey, I can't, no more fish for me. Sorry, can't do that. It's unclean. And Paul opposes him to his face because the greater issue is he was, he was blocking the gospel work. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in the blessings. I do not believe this is becoming all things to all people. You probably will not see your pastor down at the Brush Creek Saloon doing a Bible study. Not going to happen, right? That's not, this isn't, this passage isn't here for us to go where we should not go. In fact, Paul restricted his freedoms sometimes so that he wouldn't offend But what it means is we've got to show discernment. We never give up on people, and we've got to show discernment. When I went to Romania uh, back in the day, I I don't even remember the date. I was young then, had hair. Uh, When we went to Romania, we were prepping to go, and those who were over there said we met with Sam Baliga, who is one of those guys who was there during that, where where the communism came down. He literally had to swim the river in Romania to save his life. And he said, hey, when we go into this country, your, your girls are going to have to wear head coverings. And the boys will be over here, the girls will be, the men will be over here, the women will be over here. Just want to let you know that. And so what did we do as the missions office at Denton Bible? Well, that's a son called for according to the scripture. No problem. If that is how the gospel has to go forward in that country at this time, no problem. And so we did. We went over there, and the guy sat on one side, the girls sat on the other, the women had their little head coverings on, and when the man from Romania came up and gave me a big old whopping kiss here and here, you're just not here, you do that. That's just what you do. And then when they pass communion, one cup, one loaf of bread, sneezing, that's just what you do. And so Paul takes Timothy. He says, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to restrict ourselves here a little bit. We're, we're going to obey this standard, not because it saves us, but because we want the gospel to go forward. And so in verse 4, as they went on their way, now Timothy's a part of the group through the cities. They delivered to them the observance of the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So he's going to give this message that we talked about last week. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, but we're going to avoid immoralities in culture. The message is still consistent. I, I, I love seeing passages like that. You, you read that and you're like, verse 4 doesn't mean much, but what it does mean is that the message that Jesus gave is the message that the disciples had, is the message that they're passing on to those churches. And remember, somewhere over in here, it's the same message that we have. Amazing. So what were the results? Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith because Timothy was willing to do what he didn't have to do. The gospel goes where it needed to go, and they increased in numbers daily. 
The churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. The churches were strong and the churches were growing, growing strong and they were growing out. Churches should grow. We're not about numbers, but we are about growth, gospel growth. J.I. Packer said in 1987, how can you tell a church is in biblical revival? How can you tell it's growing? Number one, there's an awareness of God's presence. Number two, there's a responsiveness to the word. Number three, there's a sensitiveness to sin. There's a liveliness in community and there's fruitfulness in testimony. And I'm seeing a lot of some of that and the seeds of some of that happening here. And so I would agree with Packer. Here we are in a biblical revival that we understand that this is a holy place and God is a holy God. We understand that this is his word. Nothing brings me greater joy. Literally, John wrote about it in 3 John. I have no greater joy than this than see my children walking into the truth. And I love it when people say, I've been reading the word, whether it's what they heard in the pulpit or their own lesson or in a small group. And more often than not, when they say, I have grown immensely because of being here underneath all these teachers. And then I'm just like, awesome. Because that is truly awesome. And so we want to be strong. We want to be growing. And they went from the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden what by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, Luke wisely doesn't say how. If he would have said how, then we would have said, well, now the Holy Spirit's forbidding you, but we would, have, we would have tried to articulate this. He leaves it open. He doesn't say how they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Again, discernment is needed, but they were flexible. So they couldn't go to where they were headed, so they went another direction. And so passing by, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding. He sees the vision, and he concludes that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here are a couple observations. Sometimes we do not know why God won't let us go where we want to go. I, I remember working at a church in Texas, realizing that I had kind of reached my potential at that church, having sought some counsel of other people in the church. They said, yeah, throw it out there. Put my name as a wreck. So you throw it out there and you go interview, and I didn't go with this church. For one reason and another, philosophical, financial, the whole mix of things, it just didn't work out with Highland Baptist Church. God, why, why not? I mean, it's right down there by where I went to college. There's these natural inroads. Why not, God? Why not? And then, not in a vision, but in a phone call. I mean, that's, God can work through phone calls. But no, I didn't see a vision, but I got a phone call. 
on May 29th, 2008, hey, this is Heath Talbot. I live in Gypsum, Colorado. I'm like, where's that? And he goes, you've heard of Vail? I'm like, oh, yes, yes, Vail. I haven't gone that far west. I've been to Keystone. Would you like to come out and be our pastor? My wife's in labor. <laughs> Could you hold on a second? Honey, what do you think? I didn't do that. That wouldn't have been good. <laughs> Honey, what do you think? Hey, I'm going to, yeah, let me send you a resume. We'll talk here in a few days. Wife's giving birth. Oh, that's why we don't go to said church. Oh, and that's why we come to this church. Interesting. And so you follow in faith. I remember one time Ashley and I coming out of the movie theater, and I I don't know why, again, didn't know why, but I'm like, we need to go back and talk to Robert and Monica. Now let me preface that with, earlier that day, we had gone to Walmart and got Fix-A-Flat. Pretty cool. Just put it in your trunk, get in the car, go to the movie, go talk to Robert and Monica. We're walking with them. Hey, how are you doing? We get to their car, (whistles) flat tire. No problem, Robert and Monica. I now know why I had this feeling to go, gut feeling to go talk to her. Here's the fix a flat that we just bought today from Walmart for you. How cool is that? Sometimes we don't know exactly why God's doing what he's doing, but he's up to a good work. And so setting sail from Troas, verse 11, watch this, pay careful attention to the pronoun here. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some day. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. We, 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 we. Who? Who is this? This is none other than Luke. Luke's been a companion of Paul, kind of a silent companion, but he's been there watching, observing, and rightly recording and maybe refraining from giving all the details or not knowing all the details. Luke's recording this for us under the power of the Holy Spirit. They go to this leading city. This is Alexander the Great's daddy's place, Philip of Macedonia. That's why it's called Philippi. It's a leading city. It's a Roman colony. It's under their rule. And on the Sabbath day, I'm sure that they went to the synagogue then. It's not there, but I'm pretty sure they went. And afterwards, outside, By the river, they wanted to prayer. They wanted to go to a small group. Wow, small groups, biblical, should join one. And so they go down where there had been some women had come together to pray. Paul starts teaching. He's teaching. That that was his gift. That's what he did. He started to teach. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. You can go into all the details, read all the commentaries about the nuances of what is purple goods, but it's the idea that she, she was a businesswoman and had some wealth and who was also a worshiper of God, a wealthy businesswoman worshiping God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come and stay in my house, and she prevailed upon us. Now, I want to look carefully. We dealt with 11 through 13, that these we passages, they come together, Luke's with them, but I want you to see the end of 14. 
One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And then I think the key phrase and sentence in all of this was, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, what was said by Paul. Notice the order. God opened her heart. She paid attention, she paid attention i.e. she believed. And then she rejoiced and said, I want to learn more. I want to be baptized. God opened her heart. She paid attention. She followed. That's why I had Chris read Philippians 1 through 11, especially 1 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He began the good work. It's all about him. In fact, if you follow other scriptures, before the foundations of the world were laid, he began that good work. He chose you in him before the foundations of the world. Well, yes, but God is out of time, outside of time. Yes, God is outside of time, but he deals with humans in time. And so from the time that creation was created, you can be old earth, young earth, just be biblical. Before that time, all the way up into this time, it was God who opened her heart. We sang about this earlier. In Christ alone, from life's first breath, or from life's first breath until my final days, Jesus commands our destiny. From the very beginning of your life all the way to the end of your life, Jesus commanded your days. God has numbered them. It is God who did it all. Amen? If you're here today and you've never understood the good news of Jesus Christ, let me explain it to you this way. There is a God who exists, and he is not us. And he has so worked the world that he knows the beginning from the end and all things in between. He does not remove human freedom, but he works human freedom. And the greatest miracle that can still happen today is what happened to Lydia right there. God opened her heart. That is not a natural thing. That is a supernatural thing. God opened her heart. If you're here today and God's never opened your heart, the miracle I'm praying for is that through the scriptures and through the understand, God would open your heart and then you would pay attention to what is being said by the preacher. It's huge. Do you believe in miracles? Every time someone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the, one of the greatest miracles on earth because you had nothing to do with it. Nothing, Nathan, nada. But I, I believed. You didn't believe unless God opened your heart. And God already appointed that day when he would open your heart. But I have, but what about me? Romans 4. To him who does not work, but justifies the ungodly. To them it is credited as righteousness. You mean to tell me I had nothing to do with it and God looked upon my ungodly state and he said, you're mine, yes. And I had nothing to do. And he, he saw all my sins, past and present, and he even knows those that have come. And, and he, in his good grace, said, I love you and I choose you. Yes. Wow. That's why we sing in Christ alone. We don't sing it because it's got a good beat. We don't sing it because it's a modern hymn. We sing it because we stand up there and we say, yes. From life's first breath until my final days, Jesus commands my destiny. 
And if he is the ruler of the world, and if he is the one who made it, and if he is the one to which I can go, and that is where everlasting joy is, I'm going. Praise God. For me, it was on a street in Dallas with my finger held up to God. He said, I will have none of that. I will have none of that, but I'll have you. In verse 15, after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, if you judge me faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. I want to learn, I want to learn more. This is true conversion. They want more of Jesus. They want to be around Jesus' people. They want to be identified, baptized with the church. It's not something that you did one time, walk in the aisle, signing a card, and then you've never donned the door of a church again. That doesn't count. What did it may be real, I don't know, but the fruits of her life show immediately. She wanted to be identified with the Lord's people. She wanted the Lord's people around her. And notice what it says here. I love this word. She prevailed upon us. She persuaded us. Paul, you can't go just yet. Come to my house. I have purple goods. I don't know what she said, but she prevailed upon them. She prevailed. She, she wanted so much. These people meant so much to her, she prevailed, she persuaded them. Hospitality was huge then. It's still a part of that world. It's a part of the world today, just not as much in America. I remember going to Bolivia, and people would literally prevail upon us. We would share the gospel, we'd go around, and it was 10 o'clock at night. This lady brought us into her house, and I thought we were just going in to share the gospel. It's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking, okay, this is cool. I'm tired there's no coffee. And all of a sudden, I hear this sizzling and this smell of beef. And I'm like, I looked at my buddy and I'm like, they're making dinner. Because I had recently studied the idea of hospitality in certain cultures. And they were making, it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm ready for bed. And she's in there pulling out her best. Beef, rice, right then and there. And she prevailed upon us. because She wanted to be around God's people. And so, verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. Apparently, this is where they were going to have their small group every week. Interesting. They would have a small group in the same place every week. It's, it's just fun to see that stuff in Scripture because we do it too. We were met by a slave girl. What, what about this slave girl? Well, she had the spirit of divination in her. Yikes. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This is a circus act. She'd go around saying things and people would pay money. And so she's following Paul and us, that's Luke and Silas and and Timothy now, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Factual statement. I don't think she knows the Lord Jesus Christ at this time. Mark 5, 6, the, the demons, and it's not up there, but Mark, they said the demons uh, said to them, what do you want to do with us, you son of, son of the most high God? Please don't throw us out or put us in the pigs. The demons are talking to G- The demons know this fact. They don't believe in him, but they know him. James 1, even the demons believe in shudder. So here's inside this girl, one who's proclaiming the truth. That doesn't mean she's a truth uh, believer. She's just a truth teller. And she kept doing this, verse 18, for days, verse 18. And Paul, uh, read the Bible slowly. Paul, having become, I love this. Look what it, let me just, 
put the version I wish it would have said in there, right? And Paul, who had shown great patience, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, anybody in here never been annoyed? Anybody in here just smooth like butter? Paul, becoming greatly annoyed, turned aside and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. Paul made an annoyed exorcism. Greatly annoyed. Stop it! Why did he do that? Because he did not want her, who had the spirit of divination, was in the circus act, to be equated with him, though she's saying the same thing, they were different. So finally, after days, he, he gets to the end and he looks at her and he says, come out. I don't, I just, I mean, that's the way I think he said it, greatly annoyed. But when her owners saw that their hope for gain was gone, wait a second, <laughs> they don't care about the little girl. They care about money. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Uh-oh, hang on to that, verse 20. Hang on to that. Just remember that in your head. These men are Jews and are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. Now watch this little group think happens in verse 22, and the crowd joined in attacking them. Yeah, those are those guys. They've been here for days, and that little girl was falling around, and finally he got greatly annoyed. He just called the spirit out of her. Now she can't do anything. But let's just assume for the sake of this story, this little girl goes, and she follows. And so we now have a businesswoman and a slave girl following Jesus. We don't know. We're just assuming. But they throw them, and the magistrates tore their garments. They're so perturbed. They're greatly annoyed because he was greatly annoyed and cast out the demon. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them, gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, I think the NIV says it better. Order them, the jailer, to keep them securely. Obviously, they weren't safe. They were beaten. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so here they are. They go into this jail, and they go down into the lower cell, and now they are fastened, and they are chained. Don't look. Don't flip the next slide, Daniel. Don't look at your text. What do you think Paul did? Now, what, what would you do? You've just been beaten, and now you're in jail. <sighs> don't look at the text. What, what would we have been doing? Our situations don't cause our responses, okay? So you, you can take a sponge and dip it in clean water, and you can take a sponge and dip it in dirty water, and they look the same. And you squeeze on those sponges and dirty water comes out from the inside because dirty water was on the end, uh, was on the inside to begin with. And over here, clean water because clean water was on the inside to begin with. The situation is the same. And so here's Paul and Silas. What do they do? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Whoa. <laughs> I would have been praying after reading this, I'm, if, should that ever happen, I'm going to say, God, give me the grace to be like Paul and Silas in jail, having been beaten with rods, just to be, just, I mean, just be belted. I believe in God, our Father, and Jesus Christ. Let's get that in harmony, melody, whatever that is, right? 
you hope that you would do the same. They're, they're having church service at midnight. Now watch this. And the prisoners were listening to them. Do you think that they, uh, that again, this is, this is where the Lord wants, what are they, are they listening like, huh? Or are they like, shh? Or are they like, hey, that's a pretty cool tune. They're listening to them. And suddenly they're singing along. They're just praying, God, you're going to do something with this. And immediately a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and the bonds fall off. And when the jailer woke, he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword. He's about ready to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. What did Paul do? Hey guys, just stay. Whoa, whoa. I, I know what's going on here. And the jailer, I love this, called for the lights and rushed in. Now, this is not the day and age where you have dimmers. He didn't just flip it on. You had to go put around, put the fire. And he's looking around and like, everybody's here. And trembling with fear, because here are these two who are in the most, one of the most heinous situations, beaten and in prison, praying to God, singing hymns, calling all people to chill out during this big earthquake, not run away because this guy would have lost his life according to custom. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and they brought them out, brings them out of the inner prison, brings them up and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He asks the greatest question that anyone can ever ask. What must I do? And they said, I love what they said here. Mr. Jailer, Mr. Brew Collar Worker, you need to go get your life cleaned up. You need to start doing this. You need to follow all these rules. That's not what they said. Hey, if you'll just start, we're, we're doing this. We go to synagogue on Sunday morning. We go do this small group down by the river. It's pretty cool. If you'll just start a tent. That, that's not what they said. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Apparently, I don't know how they worked it here, but here's the jail, and I guess his house is connected. It may be kind of like, just use your imagination, some pastors, there's the church building and the parsonage, something like that. And so it says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved and you can, this same message is not just good for you. It's for all those of you in your household. Logically, logical inference, those who could believe. Some would go here and say, see, this is, obviously there were infants in her, this household and they got baptized. I'm like, no, it's those who could believe and hear the message. And he took them in the same hour that night and washed their wounds and he baptized them. I love this at once. He and all his family Logical inference, those who would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice it was baptized at once. They didn't debate, should we get sprinkled, should it get dunked? But I think they went outside to the river, the river probably where Paul was praying. Why do I think that? Well, 34, he brought them back up into his house. They must have left his house and gone somewhere to be baptized. And he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household, and they believed in God. What a great picture of mission work. We speak... People believe, they get baptized, there's joy everywhere. Again, we speak, people will believe, 
They get baptized, and there's joy everywhere. Shouldn't we just do that for the rest of our days? Speak the good news. People will believe. Let them identify with the church, and then we go on in joy. I love that. Speak, believe, and baptize, go on. What about baptism? Another sermon for another day. But it seems like the general picture in Acts is people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, I want to be baptized. Twice you see it right here. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. This was the funniest paragraph of the whole section. I guess they didn't find any fault with Paul. So they're going to go let him go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Now watch Paul. He didn't just leave. He says, but Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Back in 20, they mistook them that they were Jewish. Paul was a Roman citizen. And have us thrown into prison. And, And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. Sometimes you have to stand up for what is right. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. God does his extraordinary work through very ordinary people. I want to take you back to where I began. God's work through God's people for God's glory. God expands the mission. Amen? God guides the mission. Amen. And God saves souls. Amen. However, it may not be what you always like you think it is. Number one, God expands the mission sometimes through conflict. You okay with that? Please do not hear these qualifications on the sermon outline as endorsements. Let's all go get in conflict for the sake of the mission. Don't hear that. That's That would be, you would be mistaken. But God expands the mission sometimes through conflict. Let's just be honest. For those of you who know, I wouldn't be here today had there not been some conflict with this church. You want to know more about that? You can see me after. But those of you who do know, you may go, okay, God will expand the mission sometimes through conflict. And God guides the mission. Amen. But sometimes through delay. We always think, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not that guy that's going to hold God to the equation, but A equals B, B equals C, C equals D, and here we go. So I've done A, and I've done B, and I've done C, and okay. Why isn't this happening? I mean, I, I did this. I followed these things. But as you can see here, God will guide the mission. Lydia got... The, the slave girl, the businesswoman, and the blue-collar jailer all came to know the Lord Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit forbade them to go here and through a vision called them over here. And God saves souls only by His grace. The Lord opened her heart. Even when we're annoyed and though we may be in chains. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You and I need to go on mission with God's message for God's glory, but we need to realize 
the so-called mistakes, hiccups, mess-ups, and all things in between. They're all, they're all according to his plan. So I don't know where you are today, but maybe you're in one of those, maybe you're in a conflict. And another sermon for another day, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To the best of your ability, Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Uh, seek peace and pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I can go down that. But if you are, think through and pray, God, what are you doing here? Seek peace. But if peace doesn't come, understand God's still at work. And never, ever, ever, ever give up on someone. Ever. It may be years. But we are not in a place to say, hey, I'm labeling that guy as never going to be able to do anything again. I'll just put him over here in this and put him up on the shelf and move on. Don't ever do that. Not according to Acts 16 and 2 Timothy 4. And there are days when you, God may use you in spite of you being annoyed. Does that mean I'm saying just live in a state of annoyance? No. I'm just saying God is the hero and he uses his vessels even when they aren't at their best. <clears throat> and if you're in a place and you think you're trapped and you think, man, I can't go anywhere, I'm not going to say pray and sing a hymn and earthquakes will happen. <laughs> it could. It could. What I am going to say is Look at your situation. See where you're at and wonder, God, you wanted me to go on mission with your message for your glory. It doesn't look like it right now from where I'm sitting, but you're up to something good. He always is. Father, thank you for your grace. <clears throat> thank you for opening my heart. After years of disobedience, after years of playing games, Thank you for opening my heart to respond to the message that my mama had been telling me for years. I pray for anybody in here today who doesn't have a real relationship with you. Maybe it's just contrived. It's just a religion that they do on Sundays because that's what they do. Open their hearts to pay attention to the truth pray for anyone in here today who, for whatever reason, life's just gotten to them through conflict, annoyance, and feeling imprisoned to certain situations. Might they have an attitude check, take a step back, rejoice in you, and see how you're leading them. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.